Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing artists and creatives working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Well, um, first, I think we have to start this out with, wow, what a background. What? I want those shelves behind you. We, we collect toys, both my brother and I. So yeah, I don't know if it's it's cool or it's a problem, but. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So uh, Nora, thank you so much for being here. And um, I think we should start this out. Uh, by you just telling us what you do and what's kind of fascinating to me, um, like it looks like your career kind of spans this big conversation on lighting. Um, tech, look dev, lighting, lighting for VR, right? Uh, so why don't you tell us what you do? Um, yeah, I'm Nora Shramick. I am currently lighting lead at 31st Union, which is a new-ish um 2k studio mm -hmm. um, based in san mateo um which is in the bay area um i actually work remotely from la um and actually one of my other team members works here too um another lighter under me jenny so yeah that's that's i guess the, the broadest <laughs> stroke brush i could paint about myself yeah but lighting like lighting lead and then um you know i train people in this industry and what a lighter is, is still unknown. Like it's, there's, yeah. you can say it, but yeah. like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. Um, I don't think most people I work with at most jobs know what I do. I, I think the people who have a good idea are probably the engineers and tech artists, mm -hmm. um, the closest people. And, and what it can mean per studio is very different. Just like tech art can mean various things. I've also had the role of tech art. Um, so, you know, it can range anything from on like one spectrum of very art focused. Um, and it can be people who, you know, you can even have like at, when I worked at turn 10 on Forza Motorsport, we had people who their background were environment. And that can often work if it's if it's very sort of like defined pipeline, it's a lot of stuff is already set up and you limit the role to kind of placing, <laughs> placing lights um, that can work and can help out, but it can range all the way through kind of like what I do now. And for the past few years, it's kind of like, if somebody's like, how do we make something look a certain way in a game? Um, I'm kind of at the forefront of that a lot of times of mm -hmm. figuring out whether, you know, tools, pipeline, um, art direction to some degree, um, getting the right people into that project, managing them, giving them direction, working between departments. And it can go from, you know, that kind of direction level. And it can go down to like, I'm working on our character shader right now. So um, yeah, it, it can be very broad and confusing for sure. Yeah. And so, uh, the shader work, what's that look like? Are you, cause that can have some spectrum to it as, as well. Like I saw in look dev, uh, if we go to your art station in your art station, I yeah. saw there was that area where you're making like different metals and you're 
you're working with ramps and, and doing the look dev in Maya. Um, yeah. But tell me more about the shader because I think it's more than that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, like specifically on that, which is something I can talk to more than I can talk to what I'm doing now. Um, oh, fair enough. There, it was, I was, and it's no longer really happening as far as I know, because like the team is all no longer there who was working on that stuff. But it was, there was at the time kind of a, um, a group and we were kind of working on um, what if we made League IP more unified? So mm -hmm. not just like League of Legends, but like any game that was in the Runeterra universe from the fighting game to mobile games to um, Legends of Runeterra, the card game anything coming down the pipe, like what does that look like? And what if we kind of updated our processes to incorporate more modern techniques? Because um, whether, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with League, but essentially everything's painted. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You have a 3D model um, and the artist, whether their environment or character will have a, a, like a base 3D mesh, um, but then they paint every little aspect after that mesh. Um, they don't use like normal maps. There's little to no lighting practically. It's not anything near PBR. Um, it's very, very art driven. Um, and I would kind of say every artist is a traditional painter to some degree. They're all amazing painters, but that's really slow. Is that a, is that an engine uh, restriction? Like it's just working on an old it's engine? engine and hardware and just history. It's kind of all a lot. It's a very complex sort of like, here's where we were. And then now with just the size of the company and being so ambitious, you know, with things like Arcane and there's a lot, you know, our, like, like Riot is a very ambitious company. Um, right. And I think some of that's starting to come out into, you know, the public realm. Um, so another big part of it was, you know, can we even, can we just for, depending on the game or for league because of hardware or something, how can we do all of that? How can we unify things? How can we proceduralize steps that, you know, were once thought of as like, this has to be hand painted. How do we do that? And so I worked on a team of basically two tech artists and a character artist. So myself, a material tech artist and um, a really good character artist. And that was our thing for like a year it was like, Let's try out a bunch of things on a bunch of different games. We were we worked on different games for different things, getting feedback and like trying different things. And so like one of the paths we went down was like if we had a piece of concept art, which is 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 in that, um, it's like a snake shield. Um, if we're given that, can we match that like as one-to-one -one as possible? And how would we do that? Um, and we also had to try to match across um like everything you can imagine so it's like okay let's just pick a style it doesn't matter what it is and then match it from an engine that has no real like lighting or shading at all to mm. offline rendering to unreal unity everything um and so that was one of the tests we were we were doing that we actually kind of proved out that was possible um and yeah we, we were like it was just a, it was a lot of different kind of interesting r d stuff along those lines of, of how do we maybe redefine style or processes so hmm. so what got you into lighting because i see you, your degrees actually in uh <laughs> landscape architecture right yeah um i actually thought i was going to be a structural engineer like growing huh. up and i wanted to like make bridges which like, like when like, you were like 
eight years uh, old and you're like, no, I'm gonna be a like kind of like more into high school. Like I really had yeah. no idea what I wanted to do at all. Um, I was pretty like good at art, like above average when I was little, but um, kind of what happened, I think was looking back, I tested really high in math at around third grade to like mm. the sixth grade math. And so they're like, you're going into like fifth grade, sixth grade math. And so like, to me, I think the, the message of the world was like, that's, that's the thing you should do. Um, and so I was like, okay, I won't do art anymore. <laughs> and so I just kind of focused on that. And there wasn't really a, any kind of passion to some degree. I think when I got into like civil engineering and structural engineering, when I went to college was because there was like something, it, there was like an aesthetic. There was like, a, I do like complex things. And it's like, it's cool to see a giant bridge and be like, I worked on that giant bridge, <laughs> that big building. So, but it, uh, like in the first year, I was like, oh, wow, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I, I went through the whole course catalog at Colorado State where I, I got my degree and was just like, how can I do something that get a degree, something that maybe I do want to add more, like some kind of artistic flair, um, but still like have a science base and actually no idea that I would work in games or anything. It's funny because my mom always was like, oh, honey, you love video games and movies and stuff. Would you ever want to do that? And I'm like, no, mother, that's not a real mm. job. I need to like be here. So. Crazy how like a message embeds itself in you and yeah. just does. And it's like, where did this come from? Yeah. I, it wasn't like a, no one told me that. Like my, my mom was very supportive. Like I had pretty supportive parents for the most part that were like, what do you want to do? Um, just work hard. Um, so it wasn't like, I wasn't discouraged or anything, you know, in, in the case of my mom, she encouraged me to, you know, she saw something I liked and was like, why don't you approach that? It was just like, I did feel like this sort of, you know, amorphous pressure from all around just like saying that's not real don't do that <laughs> so mm. yeah i get it <laughs> how does that uh how does that affect things now with your kids um yeah i i have a seven-year-old son um and i mean i i kind of raised him in a very similar way to my mom and it's it's like do what you love like do a good job understand like try you know try and <laughs> whatever that is, like, that's all I can ask. I want you to be happy. So, <laughs> but yeah, and it, it seems to work. He's really good at all his subjects and he's doing a good job. And he told me like uh, a couple of months ago, he's like, I'm a really happy person. You know, how come other people just seem so angry? The world seems angry. And I'm like, buddy, cause they don't know you. They gotta just like <laughs> listen oh my to you. <laughs> yeah. Such a precious age, man. Yeah. My son is uh, eight and uh, he just scored like a hundred on the star test. It's this, this big test, this practice test. There. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just seeing him come home and talk about that. It's just so cool. That's awesome. All right. So uh, landscape architecture, you're like, hey, urban uh, civil engineer sucks. Landscape architecture fits into it. 
Um, and landscape architecture, does this start to get you into the software a little bit more or? Not really. Um, okay. So I, I, it did initially inspire me and I'll, I'll let you know how that happened. So my program in kind of that specific industry um, and with some degree urban design, because I actually, when I was in that, I decided I wanted to do urban design. I wanted to be mm -hmm. an urban designer. It's at least it was when I was in school. So this is like 12 years ago. Um, it was very traditional. So it was like paper everything. Like you have mm -hmm. a giant desk and you are like use a big arm and you draw straight lines and stuff. Uh, and you know, you have like a French curve and, and all of that. Um, but um yeah, so it was like they they actually really didn't encourage any type of software. We had like we had one class called digital methods. Where they're like, this is called Photoshop. You can <laughs> so you can scan in your giant 24 by 36 inch drawings with pencil, like your plans, and you can yeah. drag the hue and saturation. And that was like, and that was kind of the end of like 2D. I thought it was like, um, this is this is AutoCAD. You're going to be using this for your plans. We're going to show you AutoCAD, but you could do 3D in it. And it's not like what most people think AutoCAD. It was like really old school AutoCAD where you type in coordinates and then you draw lines up from there, just like just lines. So it was not actually like 3D modeling. It was like you could use this to like work your perspective without having to figure it out by like measuring out distances in perspective. And I was kind of just like, whoa, this is so cool. Um, and like I started like kind of messing with Photoshop more and I, I had like a copy of Unreal Tournament 2003 and it was back when Alias wasn't a part of Autodesk. Mm -hmm. so I had my uh, personal learning edition. Yeah. And I was like, this is free. And then like I, I you know, I, I installed that and then I like found out Autodesk had like student stuff and I just started like and I was kind of like I turned on Maya and I was like, this is too complicated. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was just overwhelmed and you know it's like this is like before YouTube this is like 2007 mm -hmm. so like I didn't have anything so I was like oh what else and then I, I was like talking to my professor and he's like well there's this program called SketchUp and it's like pretty easy to use and a lot of the other students were kind of starting to use it a little bit for stuff and so I just like ate that up and I I destroyed SketchUp basically I I was building things so complex and trying to do animations and all this stuff it would just crash my computers and so i just realized like this is cool this is interesting i think this is the future of like architecture and like everything so i should do use a better piece of software and i know what that is i guess i'll just open up the software and go to help and see what happens <laughs> um so i mean like i taught myself basically from there i i learned about mudbox um and that was way cheaper than zbrush was like eighty dollars, so I was like, I'm gonna learn Mudbox. So I started doing like sculpting and stuff like that. I started using a program called View um, from Eon Software, which is a lot of times used in film for matte painting. And also, I was like, oh, this is great for landscape architecture. I get like all of this stuff. It's like outdoor environments and stuff, and I can use that. And it just like very quickly as I was doing that, and I was like making progress. It just like sort of the technical side of it and the rendering really like all of a sudden it became like, if this isn't good, it doesn't matter what I do. 
if the render doesn't work, if the, the post doesn't work, if the mm -hmm. comp doesn't work, if I don't understand the shaders, if it just nothing seems to matter, I can have this really cool, you know, model of a character or a vehicle or a building or something. And yeah. Without that, it doesn't matter. And so that's like, I just kept like obsessing. Lighting was always like, I just kept dealing with it. And then it just kept getting like bigger and bigger as I dug in more and more. I wasn't happy to just have something work and then move on. And that's like kind of a, it's like a great part of my personality and it's kind of dangerous because I don't really do anything unless I like really understand it. Mm -hmm. I try not to do things like it, I don't tell people, yeah, do this at work. If I don't know why we're doing that, if I don't understand it deeply, I don't make moves in those directions. So it, it took a really long time for me to get in the industry um, because I was just like so interested in low level of everything. <laughs> so, yeah. And then YouTube happened and that helped. Right. <laughs> that, that allowed me to like, you know. <laughs> you know, my self-training got a lot easier once I could, you know, type in search, search queries and yeah. the answer is at least something near what I was looking for and, and learn from that. So yeah. We and books to... used to be a thing too. Uh, <laughs> right. Like I used to get um like stuff from CG society, <laughs> um, all of their yeah. book series and read what the artists yeah. were doing. And that's where tutorials was. They were in like books and magazines. And I have, I still have like a huge, like stack on a shelf of like all of that stuff, like expose, they're like yearly like mm. best of the art and stuff and digital. And so, yeah. Yeah. I remember books used to be a thing. So yeah. true. <laughs> My son doesn't believe that, but I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there, but um, when did, uh, when did games, like, was there a moment where you're like, Oh, I'm going to do games. Cause you, you know, Mm -hmm. You're going from landscape architectures to SketchUp. SketchUp's isn't like that's not games. No. Um, so when did it come and you're like, oh, I can do games? Yeah, I think there was like a, a few things. So I got out of school in 2009, which was like I still thought I was going to work in architecture mm -hmm. um, or, or or design, and that was during the like the Great Recession. So like when there's no money there's no building and there's no building, there's no design. So there was no work. So I just didn't, I couldn't get a job for like two years. Um, and I just kept like working on my stuff um, in my free time. And I wasn't- I think, uh, I think architects were the most laid off profession. Was, yeah, I mean, I knew every main, like big firm I knew, they were all empty. They just didn't, no one had work. Um, yeah, it, it sucked. <laughs> So like I was working on my stuff and, and, and like kind of around that time, I was like, okay, I really need to not feel good. Like I don't, there is more opportunity in the world for me in CG. And I didn't really care what that was. Like, I really loved games, but like, that still wasn't like, I'm going to try to work in games. It was like, I just want to work and do art. That's like all I cared about. Um, mm -hmm. So at the time I was doing mostly 3D stuff and after about a year, I was like kind of applying and like, you know, I didn't have experience. I didn't have education and it's really hard, but I did eventually like get a, um, an interview at a really pretty small, like casual game company called Megatouch. Um, and they, they've changed a lot with their businesses now, but they used to do like, um, they were kind of into mobile a little bit. 
And they were also, cause like the, the iPad had like just come out. And so that was like picking up and, you know, like smartphones were a few years out or had, had happened a few years prior. And, but their main bread and butter was like in bars, like touchscreen devices that you put money in. And then like the thing they were working on was credit cards in instead of like, well, instead of like cash. Um, and their games were, that was like their bread and butter of their business was making like casual games that people could play when they were in like a bar or restaurant, like, you know, even out like, like Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. Now they have the mm-hmm. personal little thing, but it was like a big, it was basically an arcade cabinet, like a mini arcade cabinet. Yeah. And I, I got a job there as a 3D artist, like associate 3D artist or something. And it was like, you know, the job description was like everything, like do everything that you could possibly have to do on this. So, you know, it was like, whether it's animation, modeling, texturing, effects, backgrounds, character, like whatever might have to happen. So it's like really broad skill set. Um, I was really excited. I, I, I grew up and I'd lived in Colorado up until that point. And um, at that point, I moved to Philadelphia. Um, and my partner at the time ended up moving like eight months later. Um, and like within a month of getting there, they're like, we're switching to 2D. And I was like, oh no, I don't really know how to draw like well. <laughs> like I can draw a plan and I can like, but I'm like, I've been 3D focused heavily and I didn't really ever do art like since I was a child. So it was like, mm-hmm. learn to draw really quick. Um, and so like I was there for about two and a half years. Um, typically it was like an artist, a programmer, and then there was like one designer for the whole company. So it would be like per game, you'd have like an artist and a programmer making most of the game with feedback from the designer. Mm. And then that was like anywhere from a month to three months max was like turnaround. So you're just like cranking out games like nonstop of like everything from like Angry Birds clones to like card games to like, and like themes all over the place, um, which was kind of cool. And then eventually I was just like, you know what? I do want to work in either films or games. Philly and kind of the East Coast in general is not a great sort of hub of game development. There are definitely places, but it's not like the West Coast or, um, you know, Austin or something. Yeah. So I, you know, this whole time I'm like working on my portfolio and I saw an interesting job in Seattle for a junior product designer at a company called um, Tap Handles that did essentially marketing and productions work um, for the beer and alcohol industry and their bread and butter was tap handles. So they wanted someone who could do 3D, they could do 2D, all of this kind of stuff. I applied, they reached out pretty quick. They're like, hey, this is really cool. And you're also doing this like sculpting stuff, which is really cool. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And they're like, can you do an art test for us? And I was like, yeah. And I, I did it in like Mudbox or ZBrush. Um, and they were like, whoa, that's really cool. You should come teach all our designers how to do that. Because right now we draw everything. And if, it, if it's like organic, we draw it. We do like, you know, orthographics. Now, or for hard surface stuff or, mm-hmm. and, and primarily, I mean, like very like industrial design shape things, you know, like primitive shapes and, and curves and holes and stuff was, was NURBS modeling in Rhino, which I didn't oh, know I at all. That. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we'd like, and then once we do that, we send that to China at our manufacturer and they have traditional sculptors there who will 
prototype what you drew or look at pictures from the model and then they will send that prototype back to us in Seattle. So this takes like from the time we have a design to just get something is like six months. Wow. And so it could be like a year or more before you actually get a final thing. And they're like, this is slow. Mm -hmm. So I went out there and I like, I started integrating that stuff into their pipeline and teaching people about polygon modeling versus nerves modeling, learned nerves modeling, like good enough to do what we were doing there, drew a lot still and Kind of long story short, the company had a lot of like financial problems at the time. They had like multiple rounds of layoffs. And eventually I was the last of the newest people and I got let go. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, it was just like, a I, I like didn't quite have the experience and skills yet to get into games or film. And it, it was just like a weird time. And the economy was still a little rough. They're still recovering. Um, and I was like unemployed for probably like eight months. Um, but I eventually got a job at an architecture firm who was also interested in everything I had been doing um, because of my broad skill set. And they were like, hey, we outsource all of our renderings. We want to start a new render department. And we're like, a, you know, I think they had like 2,000 people globally, but they were outsourcing like everything. And they're like, that, we don't like that idea. Right. And we're really interested in, we know you worked in games and scare quotes in like Unity 3. Um, and they're like, so we would like you to translate our designs into real time. Wow. And I was like, when was oh, this? that's cool. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Callison RTKL is the firm. Uh, what time this was like when? 2013. Oh, man, maybe, real maybe time 2014. back Yeah. And so I think when I got hired there was like the month before Unreal 4 came out. Okay. And so like, I was like, okay. Well, let's like look at some, you know, I was doing some traditional renderings and like Photoshopping and, and all of the, the normal stuff, but then they're like, you really want to try this. And I was like, okay, let me hire at least another person so I can have help. And like, let's do like something small. So they gave us a design for an AT&T store and I hired someone I knew. I took a couple of night classes when I was laid off um, for like six months maybe and i met someone there who i thought was really really talented and had like just like a cool person and stuff so i hired him and we both like learned unreal that month and then made a project and um it really impressed some people at the company and the company had just been acquired by an even bigger company from like sweden who was like a massive massive company and one of the new, turns out one of the people who is now like sort of in charge of like merging our firm into the bigger company, her husband was graphics lead at Epic. Oh. And in the Bellevue location, because one of like one of their main engine places, at least at the time was in Bellevue. So we actually got to go there and like talk to him and get like feedback on like performance and like rendering and like what causes, because we were like, we have this small room and it doesn't run. <laughs> Because it was like what I run into all the time. It's like the artists you have like, well, it looks pretty. Why isn't the engine doing the job? And so that's when I like, he was like, well, because like it's real time and like we can't do that. That's why games don't look good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that's when I started really like, wow, this rendering and lighting and shading stuff and like the performance behind that and all of the techniques to make things work and still look as good as possible is really interesting. And, um, that's when I saw a job at turn 10 for lighting. And that was, you know, probably 2015. 
beginning of 2015. And that was my first job in, in, in games, like proper, I guess you could say, to play. Yeah, it was like a, a really windy road kind of to like get there. Um, and are I think, you, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Are you involved in any of the hiring decisions? No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you have such a, a varied background. Um, that's yeah, got it's been hard getting in for a long time. <laughs> yeah, but it's got to affect the way you look at the at the candidates now too, right? Yeah, especially in lighting because there there really is still a perception that like lighters are just are like just the best artists, like they're painters kind of, and you're just mm. taking the tools and the tools just do all of the like technical stuff, and then mm. somebody can just move light, put put lights in however they want to make it work. And that I've, I've definitely, there are lighters who are like that. And sometimes that's okay. But I have found that's really problematic on like scale and on teams when, because, you know, especially with PBR, everyone ends up like the renders, everything. Um, lighting touches everything, shading touches everything. And if you don't, have some kind of grasp of why something looks the way it does or how to get there. Yeah. People are going to come to you and be like, why this looks bad. It's lighting. And you're like, well, I put the light in, you know, like, I don't know. And, and like, I, you know, when I, my first job or so, I saw that start to happen. And at my second job at Insomniac, I worked at the North Carolina studio. Cause there's two, there's one in Durham and one in Burbank in California. I was the only lighter. And very quickly, I realized like, oh, I'm the only one who like sees this from this perspective. And I have to like start kind of directing things. I have to get feedback. I also have to know someone else's job enough to have respect enough for them to listen to me and to like prove things out before I tell someone something. Right. Um, so yes, when, when I hire or when I like reference people or what, whatever, or, or people I take on for mentorship, um, I both stress and look for a, a sort of non-dogmatic kind of, and, and broad, um, desire to understand things, not just execute things. Um, mm. because every game I've worked on has had a different render pipeline. Every project I've worked on is a different render pipeline it needs tasks, ways you get the same final pixel look done. It's never the same in an engine, you know, like Unreal or, or, or Unity, HDRP are great, but you can't just make games in them out of the box. And if you can, they're very generic, very limited what you can do because they're, they're designed both A, for a very broad audience to like take away a lot of the like under work so that you can just get in and make something, but they're not like pipelines and they're not, they're like a toolbox of a bunch of things that a lot of times we've had to like change ourselves to meet the needs we have. So I'm very like technically um, biased for sure, <laughs> whether that's good or bad or, or somewhere in between, yeah. Well, that makes me um, wonder because, you know, a big part of what I do is is students and, and, you know, I try to shorten the whole, like, I try to basically get rid of college. Like, how do you, Yeah. I love college, but like, you know, how do we get this done faster and better? Right, right. Um, so one of the questions I like to um, get and, and try to understand is like, how, 
what are we looking for, right? Like, so on one level, it's simple. It's like, what are you looking for in lighting artists? Um, but what I like to do is kind of drill a little bit deeper. And, and so in um, the example I usually give people is in texturing. Like, um, how do we know if it's a good texture, right? And so um, a lot of people will say, well, I like, I know, or it'll look like this or that. But I, my job as a teacher is I have to, like, I have to have a, a checklist and then still yeah, have a way. For sure. Um, I mean, like, this is part of my job. Okay. <laughs> like defining that in studios. So, you know, they're, they're, the, the reason PBR is great isn't just because or even because it makes things real. It's a mm -hmm. completely interconnected system. Okay. Based on reality. So you can modify how your standards are, but you have to understand the consequences of that or where in the pipeline to make a change, right? So like, for instance, what, what we typically do on like every project I work on, I've, I've always advocated for, you know, PBR correct, which means like we're copying the real world in terms of like our values, our specular, our roughnesses, things like that. We're, we're finding a baseline so we can make sure things work. Hmm. Um, from there, once we're like, okay, we know how reality works, we've, we've implemented reality, then we say, well, what do we want from the art? You know, do we want things more saturated? Well, we probably shouldn't do that in the textures because light bounces off of textures and color is actually a property of light. And you will actually affect how much energy bounces, how it gets reflected, whether it gets reflected or not, angles at which it gets reflected, depending on rough roughness. There's such a complexity. It's, it's really saying, what do we want to change for the final end pixel on the screen. Um, a lot of that, you know, isn't super relative to rel like to every position. You know what I mean? I think like for the average artist, it's important to know what is PBR correct? Like to find oh. like charts from Unity or find right. charts for like, um, like al algorithmic from Substance, I guess they're now just Adobe, but those are out though, like good companies give, give you those. And, work with those and know that a lot of the stylization comes from form, lighting, color grading. Sometimes it's shading, depending on what you're trying to do. You, you start with something you can trust. And then often someone else for the average person is making the decision on what we're going to do for the standards. Um, it's kind of why I lean towards, I, I don't like the idea of like lighting being a junior position too much because a lot of times there's a lot of weight put on lighters to be sort of mini directors of various things and, uh, and, and, and get at least, you know, really well-informed feedback to everything from design, even to engineering for how to, to, how do artists work? How do, in, you know, how does the engineer think to talk to, you know, the art team, what are our tool limitations? There's just a lot to sort of balance. And unless you are in, you know, like sometimes like, like a Ubisoft or a studio that, that, Oh, that is in the middle of a game series that has been going on for a long time. And you can kind of fit in and worry more about the like the art and it, there's like a place for that long term. At some point, you're going to be stuck where you're alone in mm -hmm. one way or another. And you have to make decisions based on like the science of light, how the tools work, performance. It's 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 I think better to have a good base of knowledge about how things work, a technical strength to some degree, 
so that you're not kind of screwed at some point in your career and you don't have a ceiling of like, well, I can't really do that because I don't know how that works. I have to just have someone else make the tool or fix the thing or solve the problem. It's not practical. And I know places who have had this, even places that are like very established, have really good lighting, games look really good. And everyone in that pipeline is miserable because it's like, well, we don't know how it works. We don't really know what we're doing. It's a pain. I don't know how to make the process better because I'm not technical. I can't. So, you know, you have the artsy, artsy lighters talking to the like very technical engineers and there's no one between them. They're like, I don't know. I need something, but I don't know how to communicate with you. And so if you have a technical base to some degree, you don't have, you know, like I understand what specular reflectance is versus diffuser reflectance, that kind of like base understanding of light, you can be at even that level and it'll really elevate your career um, and understanding and make, your, make everyone's work look better. How do you know that somebody knows that? How do I know? Because I ask them in interviews. <laughs> so it's in the interview. I grill them. Yeah, no, I mean, I, whether like, I, I will ask people, like, do you know the difference between that? Like, draw me a picture of what roughness, what is happening on the microsurface. You'll have uh, them actually draw. This. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, it's it's not a complicated, like, explanation if you know what right. you're doing. It's it's like, it's bumps. It's like tiny, tiny bumps and how light, you know, flight hits a flat surface, it bounces off at the same angle. If it's bumpy, it's altered. And the more roughness you have, you're just approximating how average bumpiness that surface is. And so rays get scattered at an at a equation, how much they get scattered. It's like a simplification. Mm -hmm. That's important because people will go, why does it look weird to the lighter? And if the lighter has no idea why, mm. that's really bad for that person. That's really bad for that department. It's really bad for the person asking. It, it just, it's, it, you, you got to know that stuff. You're at some point, you know, you and your career or in your position or other people are going to be hurt for it one way or another. <laughs> so, right. yeah. How about the work? What do you look for in the work that actually gets somebody into that interview? Yeah, I mean, and this is kind of the interesting part, right? Because like, I feel like art, the, the art standards are the, the most, the, the bare minimum, like this is just expected. I expect the person to be a good artist. Mm -hmm. I expect them to be able to produce, you know, great color composition, leading the eye to be able to un like, create atmospheric perspective to have good color theory and and that again this is why i'm saying i don't i think it's hard to start out or at least interview for me if i if you're starting out um in the position because you like you have to be a good artist i just I, like if you don't have good art i'm not even going to like to, to deal with that because it's going to be bad for you it's going to be bad for me my team everyone else mm -hmm. um so yeah you do need to be a good artist you don't need to be the best artist you need to be a good fighter you need to understand color. You need to be good at communicating mood and tone and what draws the eye, what how things can mean danger or safety or cool or warm, all that basic stuff, which is why a lot of people are like, oh, I want to switch to lighting because I'm a good artist. And it's like, yes. And the next thing I need is for you to, to get a little more technical. Um, so that's kind of, again, this is all bias. This is from my experience. But for me, that's how I think. And that's, that's how I want to mentor people. Um, I tell them that I say, Hey, this is how I view things. When I tell you to light something or do something or like, Oh, create a, create, you know, put in a scene, 
make a base scene, the, the easiest, simplest thing, add a directional light, get a procedural sky in and like a skylight, and I just want to see it. They need to have reasons why they do everything they do. Not just because it looks good, because you can have something that is a mess under the hood look just like something that is clean, simple, brilliant, and adaptable, and they'll look exactly the same. But one will work in a, at scale, and one will only work for your portfolio. Right. And so I, I always really question. I see a lot of great art lighting artists. Sorry, I'm going to kick my dog out. Give me one second. Yeah, no worries. Come on, mom. Our, our little security dog. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of great people producing incredible artwork online with like Lumen or, you know, and I see, I'll see environment artists and they're like, oh, I, I did this light of the, I, I did the lighting here. We're good. And, and it's like, but when you dig into what's happening, it's like, it's not good for the job. It's great for a portfolio to show you're a good artist, to show off your work as an environment artist or a character artist or whatever you do, that's one thing, but that's not the job. Right. The job is making you being responsible for making sure it not only looks good, but it runs well and that you're making a better pipeline for every other person in your company. And that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Well, I want to drill a little further on this idea of what makes good art and then um, get into these um, this idea that lighting is not a junior job. I, I love that. Um, but if but I'm looking at It's very controversial. Your, I know a lot of people will be very angry uh, with me for saying that, but I love I it. I hold though. to it. <laughs> I blocked people on my social media because I got an idiot. Yeah, I had somebody I was talking about that one time and a peer in the industry went on a rant in my thread uh, about that. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to work together. <laughs> I'm not going to go there and I hope you don't come here. But yeah, go ahead. So if I'm, let's see, I think I'm looking at the, yeah, I'm looking at, and this is five years ago. I'm looking at the unspoken Pulaski uh, circle lighting and skies, your art station, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, you can see uh, the craft here. So there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about there. And I think this is VR, am I right? Yeah, this is um, Oculus Rift 1.0. Right. And then there's right the Lockport the Bridge. Came out. Um, and so what? If we could look at this and, and um, start to unpack it, like we're talking about just a checklist, like what are the things here that really help somebody understand that this is, you know, good lighting? Um, and it's yeah. complex too. Um, it's funny you chose that one because it's not my favorite, but I think it works. Um, so for one thing, I think communication is also a huge part of this job. You have to deal with a lot of different sort of like, disciplines, backgrounds, personalities, um, people who in the same discipline and, and job title, their minds are very different. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I want to find out who's the decision maker, who's going to be the person at the end who says, this is good, this is bad, change it, keep it, that stuff. And, and the first thing I do is talk to that person. Um, and on this, I think it was, I think it was Dave Gurton at Insomnia had done a really quick sketch and he was very busy. So I was like, hey, give me the like, you know, two minute, like what you're thinking here. Talk to me about the game. Like, cause I was like coming in kind of after a, a little bit of the game, like a good portion of the game had been done. They did a demo and it was kneeling down what the wants were in the game was very at the stage 
um, in like the initial release was going to, it was very like each arena has a, a color that is dominant. Um, and then from there, it's like, so we have a color palette. We've done this one. We've done this one. We haven't done purple. Um, we want to do something with like, we're not really sure what the other, like you're just all of a sudden we found out there's going to be time of day changes. Mm-hmm. And from there I went to design and I, it, it, and this is so important for games. And I, I think like understanding your medium and understanding you are a part of that. You are not the driving force of that. You can drive aspects of it and be a big part of it. But if you can't play the game, if you can't achieve what the designer needs, it's also meaningless. So the next step was talking to the designer of like, what are you feeling for like in the, the story? And like, what do you want here? And it was, you know, we want to have a place that's initially peaceful, that is sort of bright and airy. And it feels like it's sort of an abandoned, like all of our game is kind of more abandoned or less sort of, you know, like frequented part of Chicago is where it's supposed to take place. And then we want it to switch to something that feels very like threatening and sort of like everything closes in around you. Um, so I was like, okay, um, so like, let's try purple. It's magic game. We need a color. We don't have purple. Let's see if I can make it believable enough. Mm-hmm. Um, in sunset, you start to get that kind of saturation. Um, so I chose sunset. I knew we could like tweak the sun color to bring back more of a, a normal lighting situation for where the gameplay is. So in the gameplay, it's much more of a traditional sun air color. And then outside, I'm tinting the fog purple. I've also, when I did the map painting of the sky, I tinted that purple. And then that fed into the indirect lighting. And so it was a lot about like, this is this is maybe an abandoned place, but it, it's somewhat safe. It's a little eerie, but it's somewhat safe. And then when I talk about night, um, when I did that whole transition and all of that stuff, it's like, this place is haunted. You don't want to be here. I bring the fog in. I make it feel threatening. I have a green light, which in nature, you don't get green outside of some bioluminescence deep in the ocean. But because there's certain colors we see in nature naturally, when you use a different color, it tells the viewer or the player, this is not normal. This is supernatural or man or artificial or something else. So it immediately takes you out of the feeling of safety, normalcy, that kind of a thing into danger and mystery and, and, and things like that. So that, that was kind of briefly my, my main thought. The other thing was there's a statue in the middle, which at, at a point in the game after the transition turns into the Grim Reaper, basically. And so I also subtly put him in the moon. There's like a very subtle skull if you really look at it. Um, and so there was like bringing that theme of like, this is a scary place, death is here. Yeah. Um, it's going to take you to another realm. You're not in the normal, normal earth that we're, we're used to. And so that was kind of my process through that. And then always having the Grim Reaper in, in some form of very visible lighting. So you keep thinking about what is that? What is that? What is that? And then when it breaks apart, um, you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's ominous. It's, it's leading the player to keep thinking about something, even if nothing's happening for five minutes when the match starts. That's not technical though. No, that's interesting. Right. And then I have to go, how do I do all that? How do yeah. I make that run? How do I hide the fact that there's not real-time lighting? We don't have light maps. We have light probes. How do I do the transition? And that's when I started scripting, visual scripting was because having to keep going to the designer and ask, how do you script? Like, I need you to script this. Oh, the timing's off. Oh, can you do this? No, the timing's off. And it just became 
teach me how to use visual scripting teach me the basics and i will ask questions and i will google it but i'm the best person to do that it just makes sense because i i'm i'm in charge of this the two art parts and i'm working on performance it's just I'll learn it. It just makes sense. Um, and so that's where the technical side came in after there was an art direction to go in and some testing of what the two look like. Then it was, how do we get there? And you have to be technical at that part. Hmm. So is it fair to say, like, as you've been going through your career, trying to, um, you know, solve these problems and perform at, you know, the level that you want, um, you know, diving deeper into the technical has been like the one thing that has empowered you and made it. Possible. Yeah, I, I think it's really helped my career. Um, it's let me approach problems I don't know the answer to mm -hmm. um, because I can I can break down what I do know, what I need to know, either who are the right people to get to, to do a part I don't know at work or who are the right people to get a hint or to learn a certain thing that I can yeah. then go online, test, you know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's very much like with art, like you build up a library of tools in your mind, you sure. know, whether it's an art vocabulary, a visual library, you build up enough over time from experience and trying things and, and most of it's failing, right? Like I feel like art and whether it's art engineering or, you know, technical things, so much of life is is failure quote unquote and that's okay you have to like fail and learn why you fail but that's also a key thing is like if something doesn't work i want to know why it didn't work why was that not the solution and i think if you can do those things you could i i, I kind of believe like you could get where you need to go especially mm -hmm. with like the support of a studio when you have so many people around you who are smarter than you <laughs> Or, or more skilled at something like I, I I don't feel like I'm an above average like intelligence of the people I work with. I just kind of don't get scared. I I feel supported enough, and I, I I've had enough experience with failure that it's not scary as much anymore. And it's like oh I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out because I I've done it before. I've done it enough to not be as scared, and I I know how to get there. Well, let's talk about um, if, light, if there's no junior lighting job, what is the junior job? I, I don't know if there's like, there are jobs that are junior jobs necessarily, right? Like, I don't think like environment art is a junior job because all the environment artists I know are better at environment than me, right? I think it's just like, there are certain positions where there's a time where you start doing it just by the nature of the need. And so again, it's not like you couldn't go to a place and if the situation was, was conducive to it, you do your first job at lighting. I know a lot of people have done that and become successful. I think in that scenario, I think for a long-term career, um, just be aware you have the job, start getting technical. Right. And, and I, I kind of say that to most people about anything they want to do in the game industry. I, I'm like, don't do what I did because I was I was shit at everything for a really long time. You know, you don't want to be in your like you don't want to be in your 30s before you get your first time. You're actually in the industry in the way you want to be. That's not great either. Like it's it's worked out for me, but like I would have liked 
you know, eight years of being in the industry first. Hmm. So it's like, do whatever you need to, to get your first job, because it's really hard to get your first job. And it's really hard to get that. And, and the thing you always hear, and I've, I've heard this, like, listen to your podcast too, is like, you know, you, you, well, how do I get experience if every initial job wants experience? Like that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't. And, and the way to do that is just do something really cool that people like, Ooh, really cool. Yeah. That person has potential. Every person who gets their first job is being hired on potential. You're not good enough to do your job. That job by itself. Like, and that's not, it's just reality, right? Like I wasn't good enough to do any of my first jobs. At some point though, we realize we're all going to get old and die or retire and we need other people and people ahead of us are retiring. And we do this because we need to. And also like, you know, I think most people want to have the next generation, other people have a better industry or like have a better experience than they had. So make cool things, whether that's technical or artistic, be as close as you can to what you see in the field, not your peers. And when you get close to that and you do it to a degree, that's like, yeah, that could have gone in a game in some way or helped someone out make something. That was novel. That was interesting. That matched, that got near to something. That's when somebody hires you to take a chance on you. And then once you're in, like now dig into your craft, like now learn how to be the best you can be at that job, how to help other people in other jobs. Like that's when you start really growing. That's when you figure out what you want to do. Hmm. So. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna tell you the thing I tell students, which is um, the first job is to get the job. Yeah. Second job is to keep it, you know, but like by hook yeah. or by crook, you got to get that first job, Yeah. you know, and I, and I exactly. tell them the story of my, my wife who got her, her first job as an architect. They asked her, you know, uh, they did the interview. They loved her. She's great with people. And uh, at the very end, they're like, and, and, you know, AutoCAD, right? She never touched it in architecture class, like ever. So she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lied her ass off studied on you know the weekend showed up monday still didn't know it you know but i you know kept the job yeah i mean this is a great thing to point out because like i think one of the top skills anyone in games can have is adaptability mm. and the ability to teach yourself and learn something new however it would but whatever manner that is and as you know as fast as the time as possible Right. Um, I have all the time. I, I think everyone on every project I've worked on, especially the people who people are like, oh, they're just geniuses. They know everything. No, there are people who are just like, I don't know. I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go figure it out. That's sort of the difference. And I think where if you want the career to be whatever you want it to be now and, and probably changing to something you didn't think about later, you need to be able to just be open to learning and jumping into things and being like, I don't know this new thing, but I knew some other things and I'm going to see where I can apply those things to learn something new. And that's like, and that that's very much a lighting job in general. And it's also mm -hmm. very a tech art job where, you know, I think tech artists from both working at like having that title, whatever that means in the past to working with other tech artists, tech art is like the people who are the most, like, I think like, I will just try things. I don't know. Like I could, and I, and I can't, that's like when you, you can't decide and like, I just want to know everything and like be good at a bunch of things, but it does take a lot to do that successfully. You have to develop the skill to learn quickly and, and deliver on that too. And so 
yeah, get the job, be, be open to learning things fast, be excited about when you have a challenge, and, and then you can define like what your career is. I mean, it, mine's changed constantly. Um, so, yeah. Those are, uh, those are great places to probably leave this. I know we're right there at about an hour. So Nora, thank you so much for sharing oh, this and for joining me. Thank you. I had fun. It's great. Really right. enjoyed the podcast. So keep it up. Will do. All right. All take right. care. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.